Welcome to the Flowerpot Podcast. My name is Bruce Langridge. I'm the Head of Interpretation of the National Botanic Garden of Wales. And today I have with me Emma Williams. Hello, Emma. Hi, Bruce. Now, Emma is uh, someone who's been doing work with us over the last few weeks and has been involved with work in the garden for many years. And it's an area that she works in that I'm particularly interested in because she works in mycology. She has a great interest in fungi. So, Emma, uh, tell me, when did you first get interested in fungi? Uh, my story with fungi actually starts at the garden. Great. Uh, about 10 years back, um, my younger son uh, wanted to visit the garden. He was around two at the time, and you had the most amazing uh, fungal display um, in Dome. From another kingdom, which from had come kingdom. from, uh, we got from Edinburgh uh, Botanic Garden, and had come down in 2014, I think it was. And it was or just, maybe, no, 2011, sorry, yeah. 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 And it was just amazing. I've always been into nature. I class myself as being a log turner. That's how I've always yeah, been yeah. involved in, in nature. I have to look, I have to explore. And my children had been brought up with nature. But when my son saw the display, he was, ma'am, um, these things have different names. We now need to know the actual name. So that's where the journey began. We then started to, when we were seeing fungi in the wild, was actually trying to establish what the identification was. That rapidly went fast forward and I was introduced to the Logan Fungus Group by John Stuckey. And I then met an amazing mycologist, Mike Bright, who gave me the foundation of hammering home how important the features of a fungus are. If you can't um, look at the key features, caps, stem, gills, paws, um, and remember to look at those, you will always struggle in fungi identification. Uh, so I had to, one of the best tutors to start me off, um, and I just ran with it. Can I just ask the Glamorgan Fungus Group, they've been going for a very long time. I know they had a little bit of an abeyance and they started up again uh, probably about 10 years ago, am I right? Oh, yeah, I think you must be about that now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I went on a, a walk with them somewhere near Swansea one day, and I was just really knocked out how knowledgeable they were, and I think Mike was on that walk. It's a, it's a really great uh, friendly group, uh, and you'll find that all of the mycological groups within the UK, and, and particularly in Wales, are very friendly. They're very warm, they're very welcoming, and they're willing to share knowledge and information. When I went on my first mycological walk, it's with the recorder of Carmarthenshire County at the time, Philip Jones, and that, that was in Pembrey Country Park. And I went with my wife for the very first, uh, our first ever fungal uh, walk. And I remember turning up feeling a bit nervous because I didn't think, I thought everyone else would know loads more than I did. I thought I didn't want to look stupid. But we kind of met in a little car park. Philip just greeted people very gently and just gently introduced the idea of fungi. And uh, we went, oh, this is quite nice. And then we just gently walked around and then knowledge was shared between people. I imagine that's similar to what happened in Glamour, with the Glamour yeah, Fungus Group. exactly the same thing that happened there. Um, so Mike took me in, under his wing and both myself and my son, we have photographic memories. So I may make it sound easier than it actually is sometimes because I used to be able to store the information, but it was, it, the, the skill is definitely all about key features in, in identifying fungi and it's hammering home key features and you'll grasp it. It's no good looking at a, a photograph and saying A must look like B. You must actually look at the, the every feature, cat, gill, stem, paws, habitat, tree association, and you need an answer for each one of those questions and that will give you your identification as far as a species that can be in the field. 
again, when you first started to get into fungi, so you went on the walks, yeah. presumably you then sort of bought, bought the identification books were out at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I know they've, they've sort of like, uh, in their own way, mushroomed in, in number over the years since you probably got interested in that one. Was there a particular guidebook that you took your interest to start off with or helped you out? Um, I bought several, but the one that I actually found the best was the Collins uh, Guide to uh, Mushrooms and Tonsils of Britain. This is the one with photographs this rather than like This is the one with photographs yeah. rather than illustrations. And the reason that that one um, worked very well for myself, and it's a book that I recommend to others and use in my college training, is because that book um, is underwritten by Jeffrey Kibbe, um, but it actually hammers home those key features. And every every sorry, every photograph will actually have um, a good description, small colour, um, which can determine fungal groups and the Habitat and Tree Association. And it's also got a really good funky section about weird, wonderful fungi. Always my favourite oh, bit. Oh, go there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and rare fungi. And um, the front of the book is, uh, key, again, key features of a mushroom, including gill attachment. And the back has a really handy tree identification guide because um, tree ID is hard. Um, yeah. So uh, lots of fungi are microsia, so you will need to establish the tree that it's associated to in order to determine species. So it's really important. And that book, it's a nice, it's a nice small size. I always have one either in my rucksack or flying around on the car dashboard, um, and it's very robust. It, you know, I drop them in water. You know, they're really good. The the, the binding is really good. And I think I'm on about my third copy now for the field. But that's not bad considering the amount of mileage I put into the funky work. So, <laughs> and you know, the hand in the background to people as well. So yeah. It's a really good book. So, Emma, before you got into fungi, I'll speak personally, I never hardly noticed them anywhere. So, it, when I first got into fungi, I did it because I work here and because I, 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 we have an ins, a meadow of international import for grassland fungi. My job is interpretation, I had to get to know it. So, I thought, what a great excuse for me to find out about this. And then I started. Um, as I started looking, I started to notice them everywhere. But before I started looking, I spent probably decades, I used to be a botanist, I hardly ever noticed fungi on meadows. Unless it was like magic mushrooms, which I collected as a, as a student many years ago. I, I just didn't really notice them. Were you the same? Did you used to notice them beforehand? I used to notice them, but I was as ignorant as the next person. Growing up as a child, I had a, a huge library of wildlife books, and because fungi have never been offered a position of importance within ecology and biodiversity, yeah. the books never give them any credit. You know, my I, as a child growing up, um, the Hamling nature booklets, and from what I can recall, there might have been an Arminita muscari there, the fly garret, yeah. and there would have been a belit in there, and maybe a couple of others, maybe no more than five actual. Uh, images and, and descriptions of mushrooms, but they were like in passing. They weren't. There was no explanation there, no involvement in ecology or what or what the mushrooms did. And it wasn't until I actually discovered the bigger, wider world of fungi, and then uh, by voice recording, that I then realised that there were such things as specialist books um, and uh, enthusiastic books as well, books for people who just wanted to know a bit more about uh, about fungi, identifying them. But the whole world of specialist fungal books, which you need a mortgage for in some cases yeah. to keep up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was as ignorant as an ex person, but the more I was aware, the more I looked, the more I saw. My nickname quickly became uh, within the mycology world uh, Eagle Eyes, which was a nickname that um, Mike Bright gave straight away. 
um, or as I prefer to look at it, the proverbial um, sewer rat, because uh, <laughs> I, I see fungi in the dark. Um, you take me anywhere, and, and we, you know, we, we, uh, we've done this before on a walk where sure. you couldn't get me up the car park. We did an entire walk in the car park, but had some 40 species, and it's overlooked habitat that I particularly love. Well, we'll talk about this a little bit later. You always blow me away because patches I think I know very well, you see loads more than I ever do. And I've got my eyes down. Saying that, I've got bad eyesight, but it's not the excuse I'm going to be using here. I think there's other things at play. But when I first got uh, interested in grassland fungi, I got some, you know, I picked up some old fungi identification books from the uh, charity shops in the past or second-hand books. And they didn't even have the word wax cap in them. They didn't have hygrocybe. You know, all these sort of like uh, ones that we now got very interested in, they just simply weren't in the books. You know, I mean, they, they, they've, they've acquired common names. Their Latin names have changed over the years. But they weren't considered of any particular importance and therefore weren't given any, which is, I think, it's quite astonishing looking back. I think this is something slightly cultural in Britain, isn't it? Because you, you get people from Europe and they know loads about fungi in Britain. We hardly, hardly anyone used to be interested. And I think that might have been something to do with maybe the way we looked at them from a negative point of view, whether that be culinary, whether not be some cultural thing where we just distrusted them, maybe distrusted their cultural uses. But um, they were always seen as just like nothing in particular. Mm. And isn't it amazing nowadays that we find out that at, at least 90% of all plants have an association with fungi? You know, from a conservation point of view, I think this is amazing. It is. I mean, 95% of um, all plants rely on fungi um, for a symbiotic relationship and all trees. So uh, I was speaking to another mycologist recently, um, Simon, and his words were, if we knew what we know about fungi now, we would have started conserving and saving fungi before we even looked at the panda bear. Yeah. Uh, because fungi are, so they are the understory of all ecology. Uh, they clean up our environments, they look after our trees and our plants, uh, they clean up toxic waste, uh, they are our clean-up team as in uh, only fungi can break lignin in. So they are just paramount in everything we look at in ecology. No matter where you look, fungi will have a, a role to play and they are actively playing a role in keeping our ecosystem um, at balance. Um, so they are a bit pivotal in everything you look at. Now there aren't that many though, um, mycologists, people really interested or have great knowledge of fungi across probably Wales and the UK. Possibly for these reasons said before, probably weren't even taught academically, probably weren't a big feature of a university study. We're lucky in Wales now that we have people like Gareth Griffiths up in Aberystwyth University and Lynn Boddy down in um, Cardiff University. I can feel like the interest is, is growing, but I think we've still got an awful long way to go. When you got interested in fungi, what's the one particular area of fungi that grabbed you straight away that you went to uh, get interested uh, in? I am like a, a child in a sweet shop. Every species of fungus always um, excites me. Um, I don't do drab, I don't do boring, I don't use those terms, I should say, because even the LBJs, you call them, little brown jobs, whereas other mycologists will go, move along, move along, let's not look. A bit like me, I'm afraid, Emma, yeah, sorry. 90% of mycologists yeah, yeah. do exactly the same thing, and I go, oh no, let's stop, oh, let's have a look. So yeah, fungi excite me. Uh, Brian Douglas at Q, amazing mycologist, and one of, probably one of my biggest influences in mycology. Uh, at the time there was the Lost and Found Fungal Project, yeah. which was seeking out 100 uh, and then plus species of fungi within the UK because they were either um, exceptionally rare 
possibly extinct or even um, a dangerous invasive species. And when I met Brian, I I just went fast forward, full speed ahead, uh, because the influence was there, and the encouragement, the enthusiasm was there to actually go out, find more, keep looking. Um, and I have found some amazing uh, species, um, you know, in Wales, including in the UK as well. But it's the excitement never changes. It doesn't matter if uh, somebody shows me a species I've seen 50 times a week. I am still enthralled and excited. Right. And uh, Brian did actually try to push me uh, to ask for my CTs because it's an understudied area and they are difficult with microscopic work. And I was privileged to actually have hands-on uh, training with Brian for my scope work, my microscope work. And uh, he taught me less is more. So we all make the same mistake. We put too much on our on our slide when we use the microscopes and we just can't see the features that we need to see. So it's worth for saying as well that Brian went to Aberystwyth University, didn't he? He did, he certainly did. Yeah, yeah, so he's yeah. A strong and he's now, connection. Yeah, and he's he's now back with Q on, on the um Fungi of Life project. But he spent an entire day with me teaching me the um highly skilled microscope work, which I then went on to share with others as well. I I I'm a strong believer in sharing education. It's no good keeping it to yourself. Yeah. You know, everyone has entitlement to learn. Everyone can learn. And also, I'm a strong believer that everyone can teach someone something that they did not know. It doesn't matter how academic you are, there was always someone in life who will teach you something new. And I've yet to meet anyone in mycology, be them right at the beginning, you know, and think they know nothing about fungi. They have taken some information from somewhere that I didn't know. And it's always an educational conversation. Yeah. Um, and it is about sharing our knowledge. Uh, but my most of my microscopic uh, skills are down to the time that Brian spent with me teaching me how to actually just use the tiniest speck. Well, not when I do scope work, it's a tiny speck on the slide. And you achieve the better results then as well in order to confirm. When I find the good stuff, I'm able to confirm and send those images to, to Q, uh, where Brian Douglas will then look at and then let me know then um, if it's uh, something that they want then as well for the the Global Fungi Tree of Life project, which is a genome sequencing, yeah. um, which Q have, it's a spearheading for all flora, fauna and fungi um, to actually just tell the whole story about where fungi uh, began and the relationships and, and the family network within fungi as well. Because internationally as well, there's a lot of catch up being done, isn't it, on the fungi oh, yeah, conservation point of view? massively. And it's interesting when you see even the likes of Q talking about conservation, it used to just be they would talk about plant conservation, but now it's all very much plant and fungi conservation. That's all started yeah. to happen, I think, over the last you five can't years save or so. The plants without saving the fungi. Yeah, that's right. But but the, but even when you look at uh, lists of fungi which are uh, protected nationally, internationally, they're still a tiny proportion, oh, aren't they? Absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah they, they've not been assessed properly, and they're a long way off being assessed. Uh, and like I said, you, you're away yourself, Bruce, because obviously you're passionate about wax caps is that we have species of wax cap in Wales that are rarer than the snow leopard, yeah. yet they have no status of protection. Um, and their, their habitat isn't protected, and, and that's something that needs to change. Yeah, well, again, the, the IUCN, the International Red Le Data List, that's starting to expand now, and we're starting to see yeah. things like that appearing. And again, uh, one of the um, uh, stories I've been trying to say this year, we have a, a one field here at the National Botanic Garden of Wales where we have... 10 species uh, of uh, grassland fungi, which are, are on the internationally red data list, uh, which have the same conservation status as the likes of the polar bear, the snow leopard, as you mentioned before, the manatee, 
the uh, Sumatran orangutan, European bison, these spectacular animals that we think are really close to extinction. We have 10 of those fungi in what, just one field here. Yeah. And this field is not the exception. Wales has a lot of, well, quite a lot of places like this. And I think one of the things we need to be very more aware of in Wales is the custodianship that we have of our land because we have something very special here. And it's the likes of you who are actually starting to really tease that out to let people know about this. Am I right? Because you've been doing an awful lot of work as well on coal spoil, haven't you? I have, yeah. Coal spoil is my fa- uh, my passion. Uh, being uh, a valued person, I uh, grew up in, the, in still in the Romva, surrounded by South Wales coal fields, which um, were at one time, of course, just, just black scars across our landscape. And fungi, um, they start the story of coal and they end the story of coal. And now they're regenerating our coal spoils, that they're removing toxins, they're allowing plant life to grow there in these very harsh toxic environments and they're just transforming our, our mountains on our, on our spaces back into green areas of, of just wondrous beauty and our coal spoils contain some of the best biodiversity and diversity in our Welsh valleys now with some of the rarest flora, fauna and fungi you'll actually uh, come across. So they are very important habitats. Um, do, you, do you think, Emma, I mean, sorry, I'm going a bit off piste here, but you, what you've been telling us about how you've been seeing certain fungi on the coal spoil, colonising um, much quicker the coal spoil than you get probably in the books will say that they happen. Yeah, um, I'm, my introduction to mycology, as you're aware, is an academic. Um, I'm, I've worked from the ground up and that's given me the privilege of being observant and making up my own ideas, uh, not saying, I'm saying this because the book said, is looking at what's going on over a long period of time and then come into my own assessment and in wax caps is that the clear for me it's always been a clear indication they are bryophyte uh, related um because like links a, into mosses yeah the mosses, mosses yeah, yeah, yeah for mosses because you can have an area of coarse soil that has only been colonized by moss at this point nothing else and yet you find hygrosidae cantharellus miniata halobia conica so all different the, types of wax cap. different types, types of wax cap. So, so maybe not your more fanciful ones, which are still very much um, based in, in medals. But I do have two course spiral sites with the ballerina. When you read the mm. books, they will tell you that the ballerina will come in on a patch that's 100 years old. These course spirals are only just approaching 30 years old. So that is virgin soil, oops, coal spoil that's been self-regenerating that is now home to some of uh, the most exciting of, of uh, Waxcap family of 30 years only. And to me, that is, it's mind blowing and it also gives hopes to our, to our farming communities where they're, they're being told that the damage they have done with intensive farming will take a hundred years to recover from. If a farmer is actually told or anyone that's managing land is told, yeah. do you know what, if you make the change today, if you make the change this year, if you cut down on, on your fertiliser, your synthetic fertilisers, um, and if you just manage a little different, you could start seeing changes next year. If the mycelium is already there, because mycelium can be there without the fungal bodies fruiting, if they are still there, then you may see these species come back in a very short period of time. That's right. And it's just our encouragement that they can say, so in my lifetime, I may see changes. And it's our incentive. To say yeah. to somebody you may not see those improvements um, for 50, 60, 70, 100 years, 
where's the incentive? Yeah. So if you can demonstrate that these species can be newly claiming ground and also come back and land that has been damaged through intensive farming methods and fertilisers, I think there's a lot more hope. And it goes to show you in the gardens. This garden is 20 years old. Absolutely, Emma, yeah, and yeah. And your species in just a 20-year window of being organically managed, that you're seeing those as well. Every year we see new, we see grassland fungi in new places that we'd not seen before. Only this morning I've been in one of our hay meadows, seeing an astop- more fungi I've ever seen before on this one meadow. Now, I realise every year there are conditions change. It's been a good year for fungi, probably rainfall right up, temperature right and all this sort of thing. But I think this is all an indication of the fact that we've been organically farming yeah, and yeah. doing the kind of right thing. We're being rewarded greatly with this. And uh, I, I love the fact you're doing that, that keen observation on what people used to probably think is a, just a complete waste of time, yeah. whole spoil, and that you're really adding to the knowledge base, not only of Wales, internationally conservation really really important and it also makes me think as well when we're looking at how even the whole of the British Isles recolonized when the glaciers um, went back 10,000 years ago the role that fungi probably played I bet hasn't probably hasn't been thought about no not at all you know it's all about uh, I mean I'm a a botany boy I love my plants but it's all the story was always just about how the plants went in there I bet the I bet the fungi was in there with the mosses, creating the soils, doing all sorts yep. of conditions. Fungi Cre- were there first. Yeah, creating. You know, they broke down the soil. They broke down the rocks to, to form um, compost for plants to actually come in. So um, they would always have been there first. Fascinating stuff. I love that. Now, Emma, you um, you very very kindly you've been here before. You've given talks for us before, uh, and this year you came in and gave a talk for our UK Fungus Day on what has to be seen as an almost apocalyptically wet day, but you still had loads of people on your tour. You saw so much as well. What I absolutely love about it is I can look at a place and and, and see a few things. You go there and you see so much more. And I've got to thank you for that because what you you do, you almost, you give me great encouragement to actually look even harder than I I am doing. I keep with my stickity, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) I never hit you with it, but really. But it's been really good. And you've been uh, recently helping us out uh, by doing a bit more survey work around the site, which is so important for us. And there's a couple of aspects to that. You've been not only finding species which are of national, probably never been seen in Wales before, blows my mind this does but you've also been helping to build up our fungarium can you just tell us first of all about some of the fungi you've been seeing just wandering around around the site um i find it difficult to get very far because uh, the garden's actually bursting with fungi um every green section i found um has a uh, hygroscopic conica there isn't an area that's so the blackening far. wax that's cap blackening yeah with a little cap. top on it yeah. yeah the witch's hat yeah that's absolutely everywhere which is really promising because there's every green, every birch, every section of woodland has hypercyclicarnica. So that's a really good indicator. Um, and just seeing lots of, of species which are exciting, some rare ones as well, um, from all fungal groups. Behind the science block on the first week, we had Dendrocolivia rasmosa, which was um, European rare. Which to my mind just looked crazy. It's I like <laughs> it had a stipe, or what you get a stem stipe. But it had these little weird, like, branchy things yeah, coming off Yeah, little budding conidia um, and uh, a cap as well. 
but mind, mind-blowing looking thing, uh, Dr. Philip Jones was the first person in Wales to find that species. I was the second. He pips me a lot, you know, when <laughs> it comes to he's, first been, he's older than you are. Uh, yeah, he yeah. always <laughs> pips me. Yeah, Brian will always say, yeah, you. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm... Philip's got there first. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and uh, so in, in the last week, um, we've had a, a very rare Ascomycete. Um, again, just... They're little cut fungi, aren't they? Yeah. Look, 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 like, look like almost little bowls or yes, something. Yes, they're spore shooters rather yeah. than uh, Basidiomyces, which are your uh, gill droppers, uh, sorry, spore droppers. And so that, that was an, uh, a second record for Wales. Um, again, at the science block. You know where, where all the business is really. Well, you think I should be noticing it? You should be noticing. Sorry, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and again, Dr. Philip Jones had the first one for Wales. Um, so I w- I'm determined I will find something closer science block <laughs> that um, uh, Dr. Philip Jones hasn't beaten to uh, as yet. And what did you find in the flower bed yesterday? Because our gardener L, who's one yes. of our past po- podcasters, yeah. sh- showed you something. Yeah, uh, in the flower beds yesterday, um, Elle the gardener, she called me all to say hello, and they're all around her with these wonderful, um, and they are jaw-dropping wow moment. Um, it's the uh, red spore dapplin. It doesn't look much, it's an LBJ, little brown job, yeah. but you turn her over and she has the most amazing scarlet red gills and the stem reddens as well. Amazing the fungus. It's a rare one. I have seen it several times, but it's a rare and it's a wonderful uh, species to see. It is mind blowing. Um, so it, you know, just goes to show that even in the most unexpected of areas, you can find some amazing fungi, and it's overlooked fungi. Yeah, and you've also telling me even on the little grass uh, turf, the lawn around the Great Glass House, you've been fi- you found something the other day. Which might be a new record to the UK, but you can't find the stem. Oh, a little tiny entoloma. That's um, a pink. That's they're called pink. Yeah, it's by the Pinkle family. And yeah. uh, you, the minute I, I saw it, I've never seen this before. The minute I touched it, it blew my mind. It has the same tactile te- texture of the goosegrass. Oh yeah, that the, the, the cleavers or something. Cleavers, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah the stuff you play with your kids. Yeah, you, you stick it, you jump on your hair or your face. Um, I, touched it with my finger and it actually stuck. Every blade of grass, every bit of um, you know plants around there stuck to it. Um, and it was just amazing. And unfortunately, it was a sentimental and another gust of wind that day. Um, and as I tried lifting it away, um, it was stuck to a blade of grass and I came away with just the cap. Uh, I spent some time looking for it, couldn't find the rest. But it's something that um, is exceptionally different, very, very different. And the nearest species I could get to it was it's not known yet from the UK. And the one feature I needed last was in the stem, which was still up there on the dome somewhere. So hopefully we will manage to find some more of that with a hand tip search um, around the, the top of the upside of the dome and hopefully we'll find some more. It's like the fisherman's the one that got away. I but know. but it's, you know it's there. Frank got the photographs to prove it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You showed me the photo. It did look pretty mad. Uh, but I love the fact that you found that there, Emma, because I would never have noticed that in a million years of, of being here. That dome was quite exciting. So many yeah. grassland species there. Uh, so many species of wax cap. Uh, mycenas are there. Lots of stuff there. Geoglossums. It's a really interesting area. And they're sort of like the the, 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 the club fungi that come out the ground with all these bizarre little colours as well. You can see quite yeah, a lot Yeah, uh, different species of club fungus. Uh, the Bramiopsis as well. Not just the clavarias. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just a, it's a really interesting area. And I... It'd be interesting to know a bit more background to, to where the materials came from 
that cover the outside of that dome. Yeah, there's this place that it often throws up these questions which come 20 years later yeah. after the construction when it's almost too late to ask and you think, oh, I wish I could find that out. Yeah. What you're also doing, Emma, I mean, we're sat in, in, the, in the science centre here. We're in a room where you've got your microscope, you've been looking at spores intensely for a long time, you've got your computer out here, you've got all your fungi books around you, and you're collecting dry specimens, you've got something drying out um, fungi specimens right next to us here. Now why are you doing that? Uh, this is for the Gardens Fungarium. It, the Fungarium is uh, a collection of dried fungal specimens which are fully documented with their, their species, uh, their spore details, microscopic details, uh, date it was found, whom found it, and also good reference to actually locate um, so that we can build a better picture of what the garden has, not just from the garden, we have some rare stuff which are brought in as well. So just trying here today is a what they call the pink truffle that grows the eucalyptus, not from the gardens, but just down the road from the gardens. Yeah. That's a new to whale species, um, which will now be held at the Fungarium as well, really important Welsh record. And it means that future um, research as well, there's going to be a stock of fungal species that can be sequenced for DNA to establish again a better understanding about Welsh fungi, uh, what's at the gardens, and, and potentially what we identify today as being one species, DNA sequencing and genome sequencing could actually just throw a span in the works and say, yep, textbook, that's what it is, but in actual fact it's a complex species and you've got one of five or six. Uh, so it, it's it's a really important work to get done. Um, it's been traditionally herbariums where abitantal gardens keep uh, seed banks and, and plant material and it's only a more recent thing in fungi and Wales didn't have its own record. Previously I would have sent all my stuff to Kew which I continue doing so but the gardens are going to have an amazing permanent record of uh, fungal species within the gardens and the wider circles around in Wales. It's really important. And I'm, I'm personally I've been really pleased because you, you've uh, been working alongside Dr. Kevin McGinn, who runs our herbarium and is obviously very supportive of the idea of creating a, a fungarium as well. And uh, Dr. Laura Jones, who's our science officer, uh, who's been doing these studies into the mycelium in soils, still waiting the results, a bit impatiently. Which, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to listen to that, that's also on a previous podcast I did with Laura as well. So, and I, I think it's really important now that we're starting to get fungi seen as kind of equal partners or uh, complementary partners to all the plant research that yeah, we've been doing. Yeah, they certainly are. Um, and the, the entire team have been so welcoming here, um, so on board with learning, they're enthusiastic. And again, it's just recognising that in hopefully in future, the gardens will be able to say, we have this tree and this is its mycorrhizal partner. We have this species of grass and this is an end of thicket fungi that yeah. stops animals grazing on it. Um, and so that it's the bigger picture. It's not just about this plant is this. It's, it also has this relationship with this fungal species and this is what's it, what it does. Um, because fungi are key as well in soil health and quality. So if you do research in plants, then it makes sense. You need to know what fungi support them and what fungi also look after the soil that they grow in. And you, you did um, with Peter Williams, one of our conservation volunteers, we have conservation volunteers come here every Tuesday and they've been doing tree surveys on 16 different native tree species around the garden. And uh, was it last week or the week before, 
Peter had gone out and found this hiddenum, so this type of hedgehog fungus, yeah. uh, and associated with one of our beech trees over in our wine last natural nature reserve, he brought it to you and you've looked at it and gone, hmm, that's a bit odd. Right. Yeah, for the, the features of it, uh, they don't quite match from a, what we call a macro, so what you can see with the naked eye, that the features aren't quite right for anything currently known in the UK. When I then did, the, I always look at macro first, that's the thought, so, so I don't predetermine where I think it's going yeah. to show under the microscope. Then when I put it under the microscope, the spores are way below the, the normal range, so I, I need a 6.5 uh, UM or above. I was getting a maximum 5.5, sometimes 4.5. Uh, Pete also did his own checks at home as well with his microscope. He was getting the same measurements. So that one um, is highlighted now for DNA sequencing to uh, establish, is it uh, a variant uh, that's a, a new species in effect, or is it just a rogue that's producing small spores? Because to do fungarian work, you have to work with the material you have. I can't then go and fetch six small mushrooms because they may be something different anyway yeah two species of fungi will grow side by side so it may be that i actually tested four uh, hedgehogs they brought to me um and they all had the same features the same coloration the same uh, anomaly with the spore size and i checked i always use the kibbe keys the jeffrey kibbe guides which are the most uh, up-to-date and the most accurate for the uk fungal species within a group and i couldn't get a match I then check, checked the European uh, keys and I could not get a match. But there is a lot of DNA sequencing work being done at the moment with the Hignum group. Right. So potentially it's a, uh, a, a rogue that's already known about because fungi are, they'll produce, uh, one of their fertile areas is called a basidia and they have stagmata with like little horns atop the basidia. And, um, These are little like, spore carriers, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're, they're the ones that hold the spore and mature, and then they release them when they mature. Um, and your average basidia has four. And when you get two spores instead, they can they can throw different size spores out. But again, I checked each and every. It was very labour intensive. Checked each and every basidia. I took cutting after cutting after cutting because each tough I had to um, do a section, tiny section each time, and each and every. Um, tough was producing four spored basidia. And these, these teeth, but the, these are almost like the gills that you get on this uh, yes, particular so type of fungi, which is kind of yeah. unusual. So, so yeah, the yeah. hidden group, the, what we uh, commonly call hedgehogs, instead of having gills, they have uh, teeth like structure, yeah. um, but they are doing exactly the same job as a gill would. Um, so, yeah, but there was no reason for the, uh, the difference in the spore sizing. So, it, it's interesting, it's exciting. Peter's biting at the bit to find out what's going on with it. Yeah, really good. Um, but it is highlighted. It will be sequenced at some point, um, and then uh, we'll get the full answer then. But it's uh, different. Emma, I think that's a, a really great um, demonstration of the sort of level of intensive work that you do and the amount you look at a fungus that uh, shows just the vast detail that goes into identifying things properly. Someone like myself, I haven't got the, the whatever it takes to do what you do. So I really, I take my hat off to you, Emma, for being able to do that. But I think what you're doing in all that is really helping us to really, really understand our site a lot more. And I hope that work is also resonates beyond here. Because the, the, my final question for you really is to look a little bit about how do you see mycology growing in Wales? Or what do you think of the future of mycology in Wales? I think it's going to continue growing. Historically, it was a, a, a gentry uh, pastime, 
but in this day and age you don't have to be an academic citizen science is which is the door i came in through it allows anybody to be able to learn to take their interests as far as they want to go not everyone wants to use a microscope it's not only a very expensive route to go down it's also labor intensifying and it can also take away that spark mm -hmm. of being out in, in the great outdoors looking and finding because you can lose a day looking at, at specimens on a microscope. But the actual, uh, the family, if you like, in mycology um, is so welcoming and it's so helpful. And anybody can actually dine it. People are always a little bit daunting, and it is daunting. They go, oh, you know, is that person going to accept me? Are they going to think I'm silly? And one of the things I always say to people, there's only one silly question you can ask. And that's the question that you don't ask. Yeah. You know, because every question is valid and, it, you know, that the answer is important. And I might have given that answer 50 times over that day or that week, but I will still give that answer again and again and again because it's important to that person. Um, so I, I think mycology uh, has come a long way in just the last five years. I've certainly seen a driving force in the last five years um, because fungi have been recognised for their importance to the environment, to ecology, and also to remediation work, so cleaning up our pollutants as well. And the interest is growing. So I think mycology is a very bright future. What it lacks at the moment is funding. It's, it's one of the things that slams the door in a lot of people's faces, you know, that they can't get the funding they need for community projects, um, for academic projects, or just to take their interest further. Uh, but one way anybody can get involved straight away is taking up biodiversity recording, and that is becoming a member of citizen science, right. where you take a biodiversity recording, <coughs> and it doesn't matter if you can only recognise an Amanita muscaria, the fire garlic, the iconic mushroom there everyone yeah. recognises, it doesn't matter if that's the only one that you feel confident identifying. It's an important record. Every time you see it in a new area, it's an important record to log. It helps map the fungal distribution in the UK and gives us a better understanding of how rare species are um, and what their distribution is and can also help map climate change because species are moving. So it helps us as well to, to monitor that as well. So species that may be like warmer um, climes are actually being found, I found them on coal swipe, southern species, which are normally uh, associated with the south of England, I found on coal swipe. Now that could be one of two reasons. A uh, coal swipe tends to be warmer anyway, I mean, extinct systems very often, so it's not altogether surprising. But also, we are getting warmer, so those uh, species will automatically migrate. So everyone can take up by those recording. We've got the LERC, the LERCK app, um, or LERC app, sorry, um, for your phones, yeah. and you can do that. You can do that when you're out about. It takes seconds to, to log any biodiversity, flora, fauna, and fungi. So, um, for people who might be get, wanting to get interested in um, mycology, it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter what your education level is, does it? It just requires curiosity requires enthusiasm, enthusiasm mm -hmm. quite a lot of stamina, yep. I dare say as well. But I think the rewards, I think compared to, as you say, even five, ten years ago, is that I think people are now recognize, obviously recognising the crucial role that mycology has in our, managing our ecosystems. Mm -hmm. So I think from looking after our, looking from a conservation point of view, looking after our land, I think mycology would be useful more and more and more. So for people who want to get into it today, uh, I think they, they'll find that their role will develop more and more as the years roll on. 
I think, much more than they ever used to do. So between us, we're looking quite optimistically, aren't we, at oh, the future definitely. of mycology Absolutely. in Wales? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and as, as, I say, as I said before, as custodians as some of the most important grassland fungi in the whole world, I think we have a role to try and promote that as well. We definitely do. Thank you, Emma. That's been a really great chat. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you, Bruce.